<laughs> boop, boop, boop. <laughs> oh, that was kind of a honk. Did you get the honk? <laughs> From Boogie Land Media, this is On Carlson Drive, a dusty little dirt road of memories from the wit and whimsy of Wendy Bonifield. Today's episode, Anne. It was clear Anne was well-loved. It was equally clear Anne loved well. Friends and family lined up to help Anne and Ron as Anne battled this cruel disease we called Alzheimer's. Friends set up a Helping Hands page, a calendar of friends to spend time with Anne and help with meals. This worked well for a while, until it didn't. That's where I came in, a little extra help, hired to spend one to three days a week with Anne. I first heard about this need of Anne's family from church. My husband casually mentioned a family from our church was looking for someone to spend the day with Anne, who had early-onset Alzheimer's. I'm not sure what prompted me to think this was something I wanted and could do. I met Anne for the first time with her friend Patty. We had lunch at Chipotle. Anne was 54 years old. The first signs of this ugly disease started to show up when she was only 48 years old, which was how old I was at the time, a sobering realization. Anne seemed friendly, happy to meet a new friend. She needed a little redirection from Patty, yet for the most part she did fine. She ordered her food. She didn't get all the names of the ingredients right, but the server knew what she wanted. As Patty and I talked... Anne interjected with her stories, stories I heard for the first time that day, stories I would hear many, many more times in the three years I spent with Anne. I could see the real affection Patty had for Anne. They had been friends for a long time, working together at Hallmark right out of college. Anne worked with computers long before computers ran the world. My job was to keep Anne occupied and calm. In the beginning, she could still be by herself for a little while without getting into trouble. I arrived in the morning before Ron, her husband, left for work, and I stayed until the afternoon, giving Anne a few hours by herself before Ron got home. We took her dog for a walk every day, often taking him to the dog park to let him run while we walked around and around. Anne always walked a little bit behind, too unsure to be in the lead. I'm not sure she always knew who I was, but she knew I was the person she was with, at least for a while. As time went on, she would follow anyone, and I often had to bring her back to me. Anne, you're with me. I tried to play games with her, simple matching games or number games, but this only made her mad. She knew the games were simple children's games, but she couldn't do them, and there was no way she wanted help. At first, she knew what she was losing, and it made her angry, frustrated, and sad. 
She knew she should be able to do these simple things. If she got worked up enough, she would start to hit things or kick. I quickly learned the signs and was able to calm her down before it got to that point. Singing worked well and reading. I often read to her. I don't know if she liked the sound of my voice or if she could follow the story a little bit or if she simply believed it was rude to talk when someone was reading out loud. Small portions of the Bible worked okay, but if we got too far into them, she would get too worked up and cry out to Jesus, but it would quickly morph into crying and anger. In public, Anne would stop and talk to anyone who gave her the slightest opening. She talked to mothers and admired their babies, told them they were doing a great job. She talked to old people, oh, you are so beautiful. She would compliment people on their clothes or shoes, anything. I thought this was a side effect of Alzheimer's, that the disease reduced her inhibitions. However, I was told Anne was always like that. She had always been a kind and encouraging person. And as long as the interactions were left to that, it was a good example to me of how a kind word goes a long way. If the conversation lasted longer, it became apparent that there was something not quite right. She would morph into despair or blame, leaving the unsuspecting stranger confused. Most of the time, people were very kind and expressed real sympathy for her troubles. One incident at the beginning really shook me. I thought we might be able to attend a Bible study at church. She had gone before, and Patty warned me she might be a little trouble, but maybe we could try if I was there to mediate and try and keep her in check. But when we got there, she quickly became unhappy. She wanted to go into the sanctuary, but I told her the Bible study was in a different room, but she became very upset and started to raise her voice and get angry at me for not letting her go into the sanctuary where there was a conference going on. We were beginning to get some concerned looks. I was able to get her outside, but I could not get her into the car. She was decidedly angry with me for not letting her go to church. We walked around and around the building, with her getting more and more agitated as we went. Soon she started to swear at me. All my efforts to get her into the car were not working. My usual ways of calming her were failing. I couldn't even get her to stop swearing when I told her there were children around. When I finally got her in the car, she kept trying to open the doors and get out. I was grateful for child locks. I was thoroughly shaken, and she was still highly agitated, so I put on music and started to sing. She gradually joined me in singing. I drove and drove until she was calm. I was still significantly shaken, so I pulled over in a parking lot to try and calm myself down. I stopped the car and let the tears fall. The irony in all this was Anne became so concerned for me and tried to comfort me. She laid her hand on my arm, told me I was going to be okay, and began to pray for me. I was so angry at her and so shaken by the incident, but I could only shake my head. This was the worst incident, 
There were a few times she would yell at me, but most of the time all her anger was directed at the disease itself. Sometimes she would be angry with Ron. I think it's like that with all of us. We take our anger out on the ones we love the most. Ron will always be a beautiful example to me in the way he cared for Anne, the sacrifices he made to care for her. I'm sure in his lonely moments he felt real sorrow, but he always had an upbeat and positive attitude in the way he handled the situation. Looking back, I'm amazed how quickly the disease progressed at the end. I know it was a much longer journey for Anne and her family and friends. I only came in for the last three years. A good example of the progression of the disease is how she interacted with this box of ribbons and beads I often brought. When I first brought them out, I had some embroidery thread in the box as well, and she would go on about how she used to do embroidery. Or she would find a pretty ribbon and try to tie a bow or put it around her neck like a scarf. Later, she would only pick up ribbons she thought were pretty and hold them and feel the textures. As things progressed, I would hand her a ribbon and she would simply hold it until she wouldn't even hold on to them anymore. Towards the end, I mostly sat with her, helped her eat her lunch, and helped her to the bathroom. Music would still get a reaction from her, but she quickly tired of it. In all this, I could still see her sense of humor and her kindness, and most of all, her faith in God. Some people question the value of life when most of who that person used to be is lost. But I learned to love Anne in those three years at the end of her life. The Anne everyone knew before was gone, but that is the Anne I knew and loved. I grieved for her. I grieved for the despair she was feeling. I grieved for the anger she felt, for the loss she was experiencing. I felt that loss. She had two grandchildren added to her family in the three years I was with her. I grieved for those babies, that they wouldn't have Grandma Anne to love them the way she would have. Yes, lots of sorrow and loss, but her life those last few years before she died held its own broken beauty. I'm thankful for those three years I knew Anne. There was beauty in those years. Everybody, I'd like to introduce you to Ron. So welcome. Thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah. I'll let you tell everybody how we met and how our circumstances came together. Some years ago, my, I was married to my beautiful wife, Anne. We started seeing symptoms for Anne of early onset Alzheimer's when she was only 48 years old. Mm-hmm. And as time went on and many, many, I mean, it was years later when she was not till like 54 that we actually officially diagnosed it as early onset Alzheimer's. Really? And so I remember that was 2013 because that was the day we were leaving to go to my son's wedding. And so it was kind of a eventful day. So it was a tough day, but life was okay for quite a while. But the, the, you know, as I, as it proceeded and I was still working in Kansas city that I needed, I needed help. I mean, I had friends helping us. And so it was neat to be part of a, a neat church community in Kansas city and, you know, put the word out and, and Wendy, you heard about it and it was I really did. cool. 
even though yeah. you didn't really know Anne, but it was neat that you were saying, hey, this is something I may want to help where I could help and be a, I mean, I don't want to use the word caregiver, but it's almost like you were a friend to her. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it, that yeah. she just needed a friend by her side to keep her active and keep her safe. That's really how I thought about it, because I really have no medical experience, not, nothing yeah, like yeah. that. It worked out well. She started showing signs about age 48. What were yes. What did that look like to you? You know, at the beginning, it was so subtle because I was around it. I didn't notice it as much, but you know her friend, Patty, but fr- yeah. Patty is uh, Anne's closest, closest friend. And she noticed it probably first, just in a difference that, you know, when they would have lunch together, just the way she was communicating, just mm-hmm. subtle little things. It wasn't memory things that you think of when people have dementia or Alzheimer's. It was more, oh, something a little different. Anne's just not communicating the same. She's not calling me as frequently or she's not as engaged. So it was kind of that. It was at age. It was real subtle things like that. And I didn't. I probably just didn't notice that as much. It was almost most mostly friends. That's interesting. So. Uh, I remember that uh, Anne. She was a computer person, right? Yes. So at the time, she had her own computer consulting business. Is that right? Yeah, Anne was always stellar in her work and excelled. And she, many years ago, when we had children that she wanted to work a little part time, she was able to go away from the normal company trend and kind of work with a gentleman that they had a little consulting business and she would go into companies and be like an, an analyst computer programmer, but you know, very more detailed a- analytical work and working with, and she always excelled. She just did great. And she would always, you know, work a couple of days a week or so, two to three days. How did the early onset? People would always say, well, and you just asked me that question or, or things like that. So in her work that that started happening also where, so where Anne was always excelling in her, whatever she did in life. I mean, she was just a, such a smart person. She was just amazing. Yeah. She was, so she fit in well with companies, but eventually, you know, as that transferred over to her work, she started struggling in her work. And so she mm-hmm. always had like two major clients going on at one time. And all of a sudden she started, it started affecting her performance. And so it's like, wow, this isn't the end, you know, what's going on. And I remember like 2009 or so is when, so she would have maybe been 51, 52. So you can okay. see there was a little bit of time. She still continued the work. Yeah. And then maybe for another, you know, couple of years, it started to the point where she lost her clients. I mean, she yeah. couldn't do the work anymore. So So you said she was diagnosed at 52, age 52. So she'd already uh, been dealing well, with this for four years. Yeah. And, and prop 2013. So let me kind of calculate. That would have been like 54. Okay. So she was officially where the diagnosis, because Alzheimer's is difficult to diagnose. Yeah. She qualified for a special test where they did some dyes into the, you know, the brain area that, you know, where you know, where they see like the, you know, where things kind of coagulate, I guess, within the brain. And yeah. so they were able to define it very clearly, which and that was until she was like 54. Wow. Um, you remember her response? Because at that point, she was still, yeah. you know, perfectly coherent and understood what was going on. And, you know, I would say generally and and that, you know, because she dealt so much with psychological and emotional issues, if she if and those were things that were uncontrollable and a symptom and a result of a dreadful disease like Alzheimer's. But for yeah. the most part, that was intermittent. And so for the most mm-hmm. part, Anne was still her likable. You know, I'd say, Anne, you know, we need to talk. And so we talked about Alzheimer's and it wasn't that difficult for a process, you know, sure. maybe understanding if she was like, maybe not realizing, Hey, this is terminal mm-hmm. and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. She knew that, 
but right. she processed it what pretty well. She really sure. did. I was just curious because when I started taking care of her, I remember she would be perfectly calm about it and she would just like, oh yeah, I have Alzheimer's. She'd kind of laugh about it. But then she would also just go in times where she was angry and unhappy and just a real yes. despair. But that felt yeah. like later. I remember when uh, I was caring for you, you had a number, like she's at this number. Uh, you I mean like a, a stage or something? Or yes, a, a stage, like number yeah, five. Yeah, or, I, mean, I even wrote some of my, my journaling that I did that, you know, I acknowledged that she, you know, as it got maybe another year past that diagnosis or so, and it started getting a little more difficult for her. And then I realized, you know, because of the emotional things that, you know, so maybe she was 55 or so. And it yeah. started getting yeah. more difficult for her and affecting her emotionally. And mm -hmm. that, you know, there's, I don't know if it, the stages of Alzheimer's are a little bit more, but like stage seven out of nine or something that she was already there. You know, I just saw where, you know, wow, she is more progressed than, you know, I thought she was, but I would look yeah. at the examples of what somebody in stage seven would be that, you know, what they're doing. And it's like, and fit mm -hmm. that already. It was like, so that was, that was hard to deal with he, he yeah. already at the age yeah. of 55. Right. So young. I mean, yeah, I think so I young, mentioned yeah. it in my story that she, uh, that I was 48. That's how old I was when I started to take care of Anne. Uh -huh. And I remember you saying that that's when the symptoms started for her yes, when she was yes. 48. Yeah. So that was sort of a so, sobering. Thought. But the follow up on the one question, I mean, yes, we, you know, despair, you know, the, the most gut wrenching things were when she would kind of cry out to God and, mm -hmm. and, and then even say things that were even more gut wrenching, like I'm going to miss so much in life. And those lucid memos, she was so she was self aware of what she was going yeah. through. Those were the difficult things to hear her. You know, those were really the hard parts because when you yeah. she recognized what she was losing. Yes. Yeah, but uh, the thing that I think was so special about Anne was even in those moments of despair and recognizing what she was losing, she still. I felt like I would see moments of her, of who she really was as mm -hmm. she just seemed like such a kind and loving person. So one of the things with Alzheimer's people would experience and they would say, did she get really mean and violent? And I thought, well, the emotional part was pretty tough sometime or whatever, but yeah. you know, I'd say overall her nature being so kind and stuff that that kind of was the general way that she even lived through the disease. And yeah. when he, we, I know you expressed some, some of you experiences and you saw it, you'd just be in a store. And my classic was, you know, a, a lady from Indian descent walking through Costco and, you know, Anne just walking up to her and saying, you're so beautiful yeah. <laughs> and, oh, and give her a hug. And here we are in Costco. And, right. and it's like, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, so I'm just standing back smiling. And, yeah. and it's, here's this lady that, you know, probably is not used to getting, I don't know her culture that much, but you know, I don't know if they hug a lot. And so here's right. yeah. getting a hug in the middle of, Costco from this lady who's just has no inhibitions at that point, but that kind of reflected her, who she was in, you know, all of her life really. So. Yeah. I, I thought that was just lovely. How, I mean, she would say that all the time, anybody, she'd mm -hmm. see a mother with a child and she'd be like, Oh, you're such a good mom. Oh, look at yes. how, what good job you're doing. I thought <laughs> that was lovely. That was the real answer. The other thing that struck me is that I felt like she never lost her faith through all of this. Mm-hmm. And you would see moments, it was hard to read her the Bible because she would be so moved by that. Mm -hmm. Well, and then there's something that kind of relates to that. And, uh, you know, our pastor at 
Presbyterian Andrew, when he did Anne's memorial service, he recognized this, but so many people did recognize this, that there's something, and you, I know music is very important to you, Wendy, and mm-hmm. how you would sing, and but there's something special about God's word in music and worship music. And so we would go to church. I mean, this was even, you know, a year before she even passed away. You know, we'd be at mm-hmm. church and Andrew noted this, but then other people would observe that. I mean, there was Anne, you know, with the words up on the screen, but she would have her eyes closed. But if it was a, you know, a well-known hymn uh, that we were singing together, I mean, she would be, have her eyes closed, singing every word. Mm-hmm. There's something powerful about music, you know, God's yeah. God speaking to her through music that was because of the nature of Alzheimer's that music had a special place to that. So I thought that was a really cool story and just recognizing that we would go to church even the last year of her life yeah. and that the worship could just, you know, resonate with her and she could know the words even, you know, in her heart. And that's, I thought that, I think that's amazing. It's just like, how does yeah. that work? <laughs> that would be something when she would start to get upset or agitated, I'd just start to sing. And yeah. she'd start singing with me, and it would just—I mm-hmm. mean, music. It soothes the savage soul, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. It does. So, yeah, that was beautiful. I just was always amazed at your kindness and patience in all of this, and your just gentle care for her. That was just such a beautiful message to me to watch you do that. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I mean, because those are. Uh... It was such a surreal time, especially with leaving my work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I left my work because, you know, I had no idea if she was going to live three years, which was about what it was after I left my work, yeah. or eight years. And so I had the opportunity to retire early, and which was a blessing. But those were life changes for me. So I just trusted sure. when I left my work. I just said, you know, I want to, exp- I hope that the next year's ahead as far as long as hand, that we can kind of look and see what life you know, might've been like if we had the opportunity to enjoy life after my work sure. and, you know, I would say travel and all those things, but we did that. And I just lived, I'm, maybe it's my personality. I just made decisions as best I could with the information and prayerfully consider things and just kind of living life forward with her, just enjoying as yeah. much as I could. And like I say, I journaled and I didn't look back or, or question why so much, you know, that, that came later. Yeah. You know, when it got more difficult, but uh, for the most part, you know, I just realized this is, this is my calling. I had a good friend, one of these uh, very passionate people, but just who knew Anne really well from even childhood and just said, Ron, this is your calling. Hmm. And uh, the the key was, you know, take this seriously. And I didn't leave work just to go and experience retirement for a little bit with Anne. It was more because I, I had a, I had a kind of a reason for this. So it was a lovely example to me of somebody who cares for, those that they love, even though you didn't know what kind of, you didn't know what you were getting into. And yes, but I was really thankful for those days. Like I said, in my piece, I did learn to love her um, for who Mm -hmm. she was. And I, I only knew Anne in the depths of Alzheimer's. So thank you for giving me the chance to be a part of your life and care for Anne. That was really special for me. One, you were a blessing to not just me, but our family and uh, just to make those, you know, last few years a little more, you know, meaningful. I mean, because it would have been, you know, I appreciate because you were over the top on doing things with her that, you know, whether it was bringing crafts and buttons or whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever all you did, because, you know, to, for her to play with her fingers and, and it was a, so she was a seamstress and a cross stitch and she did all those things. She was. An oh, yeah. Seamstress. She told me that every time yeah, we got those had, out. <laughs> so, so I appreciate that you did that. And that was, those were things that made me smile. Oh, good. Good. Well, um, thanks for 
chatting with me, Ron, and it's good to catch up with you and see how your family has grown. I think when I knew you, you only had two grandbabies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We have, I have six now. So it's yeah. like say I'm in Texas now and uh, close to my kids and grandkids. And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to live where I am by closer to them now and, and, uh, and experience that, those relationships. This episode of On Carlson Drive was produced for Boogieland Media by Randy and Wendy Bonifield and distributed through our friends at podbean.com. All stories were written, edited, and narrated by Wendy Bonifield. All original music and music arrangements are written and performed by Randy Bonifield. Remember to subscribe and please like, add, friend, and review this podcast wherever you find us. Follow On Carlson Drive on Facebook and Instagram at username On Carlson Drive. And be sure to visit our website at OnCarlsonDrive.com. Special thanks to all our friends and families who, unbeknownst to them, were writing the stories we tell simply by living them. Join us in two weeks for a new episode. Until then, thank you for listening to On Carlson Drive. <laughs>